afternoon. You're on Friday's panel with me, Wallace Chapman. We have Cindy Michener and David Cormack. And first up, Stuart Nash has been demoted to the bottom of the Cabinet rankings as on a final warning. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins was made aware of a third breach of Cabinet manual last night. Hipkins said Nash had breached the Cabinet manual for a third time when he directly advocated for a constituent to Immigration NZ. He has kept his other ministerial roles. This was announced just before 3pm this afternoon. Stuart Nash resigned as police minister following criticising a judge's sentencing and calling his police commissioner mate to ask Quite surely you're going to appeal. With us is Jackie Vanderkay. Vanderkay, a former journalist who holds a master's degree in political science from Victoria University, Wellington, and wrote a very interesting piece on this topic for the Democracy Project at the University of Victoria. Jackie, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Lovely to have you on, Jackie. So um, late developments on this issue. Um, Hipkins says his confidence has been dented. What do you make of these latest developments? Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it, Wallace? I think um, it's interesting that Nash yesterday assured the Prime Minister that there were no other cases like yeah. this, no other instances of him breaking the Cabinet manual. In less than 24 hours, we have two more cases that have come to light. Um, so I think that's an interesting development. That's a, that's very interesting, isn't it? So two more cases come to light. He was assured. Uh, I guess the, one of the questions is: uh, Should he keep his other ministerial roles? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think these issues of integrity are pretty important in, in politics, and the, like the rules in our democracy are there for a reason, and they're there to keep. Um, our political system working effectively. That's what makes our democracy successful um, and how it operates and ensuring that ministers don't influence the judiciary or their departments by asking for certain things to happen. That's the reason we have these rules and um, Nash has clearly broken them but in this case um, the Prime Minister has decided to give him what looks like a third chance um, and kept him in Cabinet but he has demoted him to the bottom of the heap. Yes, so going down to 20th from uh, 11th. Uh, Jackie, stay there. I'm I'm, I'm totally certain that uh, Cindy and David will have views and uh, opinions on this. Cindy? Well, naughty, 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 Stuart. In the naughty corner, please. Um, I think there's two things here. Um, I mean, and one is he obviously doesn't think the rules apply to him. I mean, you know, maybe a rush of testosterone when he was in the ZB studio with his you know, macho mates, ha-ha. But the other issue, apart from his obvious indiscretions, the other issue is not telling the Prime Minister, Okay, I mean, when, you know, I used to have a rule with my staff which was no surprises. You've killed someone, just tell me and we'll deal with it. But no surprises. And I think that's as big an issue for Chris Hipkins as his clear... Um, belief that the rules don't apply to him. Stay there, Jackie. Let's get David's view as well. Uh, It's interesting, eh, because I think that Hipkins... So I've seen a lot of focus group testing where people are saying they want to see uh, decisive leadership. And I think that Hipkins kind of backed himself into a corner a wee bit with the first decision of taking his police portfolio away from him because he was decisive. And then out came these subsequent stories, kind of drip, drip, dripping. And Hipkins knew he kind of had to do something. And so he's 
demoted him to to being a bottom, whatever that means. And and Cabner, I don't even know what the consequences of that mm. even are. Um, but the thing with the stuff that Nashi did is that I think for a lot of people that actually agree with him doing it, like they do want to see tougher sentences, even though they're dumb. Uh, and you know, he was advocating for a healthcare professional to stay in the region. It's just that when you're in a position of power and influence like that, you have to be so careful of what you're doing. And he just wasn't. So I kind of think the punishment's probably appropriate if there actually is a punishment, but I haven't quite worked out what being demoted to a bottom even means. So you don't think, uh, David, that he should lose his other ministerial roles? No, not especially. Jackie? Yes, I'm not entirely sure that I agree with David on this one. I think that these issues of integrity do matter because they do undermine citizens' um, views of politicians and institutions they work in. So there's been some research in the UK that shows that these issues do negatively impact on people's views of politicians and their level of engagement in democracy. So I think it is quite undermining of the government as a whole. And at the moment, the way that um, the Prime Minister has acted, he's left that open. So he's kind of said, oh, well, I'll just see if you do it again, you know, or see mm. if something else comes to light. So it, it's just, yeah, I think it's a bit of a, um, I think, I do agree with David that he did, did act in the beginning, it was quite decisive, but now it appears less decisive from my point of view. Okay, interesting, uh, Jackie. I'd love to hear the listeners' view on this. Do you think that Stuart Nash should lose his other ministerial roles. What do you think? I, I just think that everyone who replies to that poll, if they're a Labour supporter, will say no, and if they're a National supporter, will say yes. This is this is this is even more meaningless than many of your other polls you've done. Do you think it's as clear clear cut as that? Uh, well, look, my my view is that they you just have to be a little bit careful. Um, he uh, Hipkins did take decisive action and took him away from you know the big high profile portfolio. You know, I mean, how many more skeletons in the closets are there? I mean, you know, if, if you actually get rid of everybody all of the time, I mean, you know, you really you're gonna you're gonna run out of talent. I can tell you that because I'm sure there'll right. be the one or two more. I mean, you know, there was um, the Maya Huta, There was a lot of problems around, you know, her and, and integrity roles and nothing happened. I guess the question now is, Jackie, if Chris Hipkins knew about this first error, uh, you know, bad enough that the Solicitor General considered prosecuting him for contempt, uh, for commenting on cases before the courts, that would present another light that would be serious? Yeah, I think you're right, Willis, and that, that comes back to the question of, of Stuart Nat, well, as far as we can understand, because obviously we weren't there to hear the conversation, assuring the Prime Minister that there hadn't been other examples of this happening, and then we find out that actually Crown Law considered, um, actually considered prosecuting him for this. So I think you're right, I think there is a question about that. There's also another question, which is he doubled down, um, Stuart Nash, so what he did is he said, well, yes, like he, he, it took a few hours for him to resign, and he basically said he hadn't made a mistake. And then later on he said, oh, actually, I have. So there's also that element in this as well. And I think um, while um, the Prime Minister did move very fast on the police portfolio, I think this decision perhaps is less 
decisive and I think it um, undermines his leadership because up until now he's had quite a good run like he's been seen um, in a crisis with the cyclone and he's been quite right. impressive in resetting the government's agenda but this actually could be his first big mistake. So Jackie you think he should definitely go from everything and out of cabinet? Yeah I do. Yeah um, the, Pat says I'm a big Labour supporter Stuart Nash is arrogant and a liability. Um, just finally, though, I mean, there are other, uh, as I guess Cindy pointed to, there are other examples. It comes to the issue of integrity. The, the Nats, you pointed out, the Nats might need to tread warily here. It was only five months ago when National Leader Chris Luxon took the agriculture portfolio off Barbara Kuruga after her long standing conflict of interest was revealed. I mean, these situations happen. Uh, in other areas, Regularly. don't they, uh, Jackie? Yeah, they do, and that's another. Um, that's a good example. That's, it's slightly different that case because it was a conflict of interest case. But she was trying to influence the department that she was responsible for. Now she wasn't in cabinet, but she was still the shadow cabinet minister at that time. So she was in the opposition, but uh, and was trying to influence the department that she had responsibility for. Um, and it's interesting that. She lost that portfolio, but in Christopher Luxon's reshuffle that he did at the beginning of the year, she has picked up some other ones. So she now has conservation and some other ones. So she, like for if National, for example, was to win the election later in the year, she would be a minister in their cabinet potentially. Can I suggest we, we should maybe think about looking at these things in a different way, right? So you had the Sam Uffendale situation where dude beat up a kid with a with a bed leg. Horrific story. But National said, you know, he turned his life around and he grew up and he became a good contributing citizen and now he's an MP and he's working hard for the people of Tauranga. Why can't we take that approach where instead of wanting to be all punitive and, oh, we must sack them and, oh, we must do this, and I'm talking about from MPs all the way down through the justice system, why can't we look for them to actually go, okay, yeah, I have made a mistake and move on from that and try and make them good contributing citizens or cabinet ministers? But integrity is a core personal value. And, I mean, you know, beating someone up with a bed leg is absolutely, absolutely terrible. But it's, a, it's an, a, you know, an, an act. What we're seeing with Stuart Nash is that he is fudging the truth and that he is um, less likely to come clean, inverted, or be transparent um, you know, or, or he's not going to be transparent. And how will that bode in the future? Yeah. Um, Jackie, kia ora. It's lovely to have you on the panel. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Wallace. Yeah, that's Jackie Van Der Kiem, uh, former journalist. Uh, she wrote about this issue in the Democracy Project for Victoria University. Really good um, piece too, so I appreciate her time there. Uh, he's been punished. It is sufficient. Uh, all this wanting more punishment for speaking his mind is just more vengeful. Um, this is a um, yeah, huge response on that. Thanks for your feedback. Uh, it is uh, the panel with Cindy Mitchenham and David Cormack today. Now, volatility in international banking continues today. The biggest banks in the US swooped in to rescue First Republic Bank with a flood of cash totaling $30 billion in an effort to stop a spreading panic following a pair of recent bank failures, reports the Wall Street Journal. Shares in Credit Suisse plunged more than 
30% at one point uh, on Wednesday to a record low as top shareholder Saudi National Bank ruled out more funding, but it was provided with a 50 billion Swiss franc lifeline from the Swiss National Bank. Um, then there was the collapse of the 16th largest bank of the US, Silicon Valley Bank. So to explain what it all means, we have Associate Professor Claire Matthews with a research interest in banking. Claire, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. So really... I'm going to have a tight deliver on that, but let's see how we go. <laughs> let's have a go. And, and it's, I find this so interesting. This is a rolling story. It's been live blogged until recently by the New York Times, uh, CNBC. Credit Suisse first up. You had... This is a former, a former pride of Swiss banking, founded 1856. Where does... That sit within the banking ecosystem. Oh, well, Credit Suisse, as you say, is a long-established bank. It's got a really good name. So when you hear that it's having difficulties, it, it does create a shock. It's like, wow, Credit Suisse, how on earth can that be a bank that's having problems? Is there a contagion effect here? I mean, it's not a, it's not nowhere on the level as the global financial crisis, of course, but you've got the latest here being the first Republic Bank being uh, flooded with, others, with cash from other banks. Um, fairly significant bank. What of this latest development? Oh, certainly we're seeing some contagion around the US banks, but we need to be clear that the situation with Credit Suisse is unrelated to what's happening in the US. It is coincidental, um, a very unfortunate timing, but it is a coincidental issue that Credit Suisse has encountered, not related to the US banks. But certainly what we've seen with Signature and First Republic is, is quite clearly a contagion effect of what's happened to Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley had issues, uh, sought to raise capital that created concerns, depositors or and withdrew their funds that caused the um, regulators to step in, and then that meant that um, investors started to look at other banks that were in similar markets. So we need to recognise that uh, Silicon Valley Bank was a niche bank. It was operating in the tech sector. Signature is another niche bank. Um, it's had a uh, significant involvement in the crypto market, and that seems to be what's raised the specific concerns there. Um, I'm not sure what First Republic's uh, situation is, but I suspect it's probably got some similar connections in terms of the type of banking that it's done. So we're not seeing... There's some nervousness around banking generally, but we're not seeing it spread... Um, completely against the uh, US banks. It is uh, focused against these banks that have got slightly niche and um, operations and in areas okay. where there's other concerns. Uh, hey, yes. so yeah, the, the route here for the Silicon Valley Bank, though, is that they bought bonds when the interest rates were a lot lower. So the central bank's been putting interest rates up to try and what they say is claim to, to track back inflation, and now Silicon Valley's left holding a whole lot of bonds that are that are too uh, that are not the right price for them. And so we've, we've got to answer the question here about whether or not inflation or um, sustaining bonds for banks is is what we're going to go after. Because 
because it appears that we can't have one or the other. And so the people that end up wearing this are the people that work for the startups that Silicon Valley Bank holds their money for because there's going to be payrolls that don't get met and, and, and leave funds and that sort of thing. And so it's going to be a classic case where those who are working get screwed because of decisions being made by bankers in corporate buildings. And, and no, one seems to, no one seems to be bothered by that. And it's the same stuff all the time. We're seeing tech companies make massive layoffs all around the world, and that's falling out of these central bank decisions to continually hike interest rates. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the Silicon Valley failure is largely related to the change in interest rates in terms of the US bonds. Um, but at the same time, they sought to raise investment funds and um, they, they, you know, they sought to raise more capital. And that shouldn't necessarily have been an issue. But for some reason, the potential investors uh, took fright at that. And some of the depositors saw that uh, very negatively and decided that they needed to get in and get their money out. Um, and that created the crisis that led to the um, re- regulators stepping in. While I know your concern about the um, tech companies that are in banking with um, uh, Silicon Valley, got to remember which one we're talking about, Silicon Valley, and I would have agreed with you at the beginning of the week, but my understanding now is that, in fact, the regulators have stepped in and said, actually, we'll guarantee everything, uh-huh. and they've just transferred it all over, and the bank is now operating under regulatory control right. operating and people have full access to their money. But yeah, early in the week I would have agreed with that other concern. Cindy. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. They are, you know, Biden, they are backing the banks. Um, and, I, you know, I think the issue is panic here. You know, with the um, Credit Suisse, the reason the Saudis are not putting more money in is because the Swiss won't let them. They're not allowed to own more than 10% of the bank, and they already own 9%. And the CEO of Swiss Bank came out and said, you know, don't don't think that the Saudis aren't putting in more money because we're a bad risk. They're not allowed to. And, you know, Credit Suisse has had uh, issues for probably five months now, mm. and five or six months, as you'll note, Claire, and... They've already taken most of the medicine. So, I mean, I think the most important thing is actually reducing that panic. Well, that's a very important point, the part psychological, uh, Claire, to reduce that, uh, as they say, a run on the bank. Oh, absolutely. The problem with banking is it's very reliant on trust. um, And when, when banks lose trust, then it makes it really, really difficult to operate and we end up with the situation that we've got. So that's why you see the um, banks stepping in to support uh, First Republic because that stepping in to provide that support is a tangible way of saying, actually, you don't need to worry about First Republic. They're trustworthy. It's why the Swiss National Bank has stepped in to support Credit Suisse and to reassure um, investors that there is actually fundamentally not a problem. Um, and, And that's why the regulators also stepped in around SVB to make sure that they're sending a message that actually, yes, there are some issues, we will work them out, but fundamentally the banking sector is trusted, able to be trusted. So, Claire do, you think, Claire, do you think the four big Aussie banks would step in to shore up TSB if there was a bit of a hiccup? Um, it, it's really hard to say, but I think it's, it's likely. TS, uh, you know, any of the New Zealand banks, if there were to be difficulties, um, whether it would be the big four Australian banks, whether it would be the Reserve Bank, um, whether it would be someone else. Um, the reality is we don't want to see a bank fail because of 
what imp- what message mm. that would send to people and what impact that would have on a flow-on effect. So there, there would, I think, be some action. Very nice mm. to have you on the programme, Claire. Kia ora, uh, as always. That's Associate Professor Claire Matthews, who has a research interest in uh, banking there. Uh, that's the uh, one of the big uh, pieces of news. Now, just uh, I want to respond here. Um, do correct Cindy's panellists uh, that Mahout was cleared of what that woman accused her of. So that is very, very short. I just want to... Thank you. Um, I just want to mention this, that um, uh, uh, Minister Nanaia Mahuta was cleared of her conflicts of interest in contracts awarded to companies associated with her husband and other whanau members. And um, the Public Service Commissioner, Peter Hughes, found no evidence of favouritism bias or undue influence. It's 28 past four, the panel RNZ National. Uh, just completely different story after those two pretty um, pretty uh, big stories there. Getting a hug in the workplace. What are the rules here? Have you had issues of being hugged? That unsolicited touch on the arm on the shoulder. Do let me know. Text me 2101. This was an issue raised in stuff today. Physical boundaries being tricky. Very tricky to negotiate. Physical greetings. A handshake. Hongi. Appropriate in cases. But a hug? A shoulder pat? What do you think around the panel? Cindy Michener. Well, we talked about this for a, a long time in the staff room. I, I, you know, <laughs> this is something that I think it really depends on judgment. I mean, the spontaneous joy of throwing your arms around someone going, you know, like if you're at work, you you know, we're in an agency, something goes really well, the client, you know, the spontaneous joy of throwing your arms around someone and going, fantastic, is, that's how I think about sort of workplace hugs. And I, what I think is really important, or now more important or more certainly more talked about, is you really, you probably need to know the person uh, you know, there are some people that just don't want to be touched at all. And you also need to be able to, I think, I mean, can you differentiate between a creepy hug and a spontaneous joy hug? Well, you've said it right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, is it just better to have signs up saying, don't touch? Don't touch, but I'm you know? really happy, are you? I mean, you know, it, it's a, I think it is a sad thing, but I, I think you can differentiate between a creepy hug and, a, I mean, you know, if you're the hug, the one being hugged, I think you can differentiate, and that is a no-no. Um, David? I think that the onus should not be on the person to say, I don't want to be hugged. I think your default position should be, I'm not going to hug this person unless there are very clear signals that they like to be hugged. So you've got to, you've got to uh, assume that you know all of your colleagues well yeah. enough to No, assume understand. that you're not going to hug them and then maybe get to know them. Maybe ask them. That's a pretty clear yeah. way of finding out if people like being hugged. Can so, I give hello, you a hug? Uh, may, may I? Well, I mean, that's like that silly television show. May I give you a hug? No, you may not. Just go away. I mean, you, yeah. Well, you then know. it's resolved, isn't it? But is that like, may I touch you on the shoulder, or just one moment? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm a could big I put fan my finger of on your hand? consent for a lot of things, to be honest. And so I think this is just another one. 
Um, someone says, uh, well, actually, quite a, a bit of response on this. What do you say? Do you disagree with David? Do you, are you trying to say? Um, are you trying to say we are human? At well, the look, end of I'm the day, we are human people who those spontaneous joy. I mean, can, can you remember those? You know, TV commercials where people are running together and giving them a big hug. I think it's about how well you know the person, and you know, I I I think giving someone a hug is 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 a great thing. But yes, David, you do have to make sure that people are comfortable with it. But I mean, you, and that's time too. How well you how well you someone says know them. ask them exclamation yeah. mark do you mind there we go do you mind do you mind if I give you a hug Wallace. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm not. A, you can't no, hug me. No, no I'm not right. A, I'm, I'm not don't a, you touch I'm me. I'm not a hugging yeah, person. Not yeah. a... Um, you're on the panel on RNZ National. It's 28 to 5. It's time for headlines.